The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Ad, your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the weekly visit of my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you. Great to have you on, as always, Peter. And the uh, show that we've got for you today is entitled The Real Story of Hypocrisy in the name of love and tolerance. And before I hand over to Peter, last week after we recorded uh, our show, Peter sent me an article that I wanted to cover on a show, but I forgot. Uh, so we're going to cover it at the start now because it actually fits into the narrative of today's show. And I will also include a link to it in the post for this show at andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com. The article is from CBN News, which is the Christian perspective. It's entitled, Let's burn a church when LGBT activists threaten to attack UK police try to silence pastor instead. I'm going to read the first uh, few paragraphs then hand over to Peter. A Christian pastor in the United Kingdom was told by the local police that if he offends the LGBT community with a social media comment, he could be breaking the law, even though a pro-LGBT mob threatened to burn down his church. Christian Concern, a UK persecution watchdog, reports Pastor Josh Williamson of Newquay Baptist Church was warned by police to keep his views in a safe environment after being targeted by a wave of anti-Christian abuse, including threats of violence and calls for his church to be burnt down. Last month, Williamson, 34, replied to a post on a local news outlet's Facebook page that reported this year's Cornwall Pride event would be cancelled. Williamson simply wrote wonderful news under the post. When he was questioned about his comment by another user, he replied, because I don't think sin should be celebrated. Answering more questions from other users, Williamson quoted what the New Testament says regarding homosexuality from the books of John, James and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Now let's go further down into the article. Um, 
After these threats, Williamson was invited to a meeting with two members of the Cornwall Pride group, which he accepted to share his beliefs. During the meeting, he shared his Christian beliefs and welcomed members of the LGBT community to attend his church. Before leaving the meeting, he asked permission to leave a leaflet with the pair on what the Bible says about homosexuality. Images of the leaflet were later shared widely throughout the local LGBT community, creating the illusion that pastor was distributing the leaflet. This resulted in further calls for police to investigate the pastor for a hate crime. Now, Peter, uh, what can you tell us about uh, this article and uh, Pastor Josh Williamson? Well, actually, I know Pastor Josh Williamson. He's been a long-time friend. I, several years ago, was a guest in his home for a couple of weeks and ministered uh, in his uh, congregation in Brisbane, in Queensland, Australia, uh, lovely family, uh, three young children, uh, answered a call to help with a church plant in uh, England. I think he's in either Devon or Cornwall uh, and uh, uh, kept in contact. And so when I heard about this, I know he's a nice person. He's not a person who goes out of his way to offend people. And in fact, uh, the way he's responded to this has been awfully gracious. And uh, uh, put out invitations to these LGBTQ people to visit their church that you're most welcome. Uh, we want to share Jesus with you. And it's all about the gospel. And uh, he is not someone out there to offend people. He just wants to be faithful to the scriptures. And of course, these days, comments like, well, there's only two genders, or marriage can only be between a man and a woman, or there's no such thing as a, a Christian celebrating sin. Uh, let's face it, what is the middle letter of pride? It's I. The middle letter of lie is I. The middle letter of sin is I. The middle letter of Lucifer is I. I, or selfishness, sinfulness, is at the heart of all sin. It's rebellion to God. And, and the worst kind of idolatry is idolatry, where I am actually worshipping myself. And so a gay pride marches is just the very opposite of what Christianity is. And so he made a comment that I don't think we should be celebrating sin, and he put the sin of homosexuality in the same categories as adultery and blasphemy and uh, all, all these other crimes which are listed in the scripture. He quoted straight from the scripture. And uh, of course, homosexuality is a particular grievous sin that, that invited the wrath of God on, on Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, yet, I know that the way Josh Williamson's been tackling this, because I, in fact, watched his entire program with Answers in Genesis, we he went step by step through the different interactions, how it went about. This is a, a very gracious pastoral heart uh, person and family, and I, I find it just incredible that the person who's accused of intolerance and of being hateful is the one who's actually showing love because he's showing love for the community and trying his best sacrificially to reach out to people in the community who are giving them hate in response. So how intriguing that the British police are more concerned about someone who was using free speech and just preaching the gospel and in, in a way that's been pretty standard in the British Isles for something in the realm of t t two millenniums. Uh, and suddenly the pastor is the one who's warned to keep the gospel to himself, keep it in a safe environment. Don't share it in the public square, on social media, or anywhere out in the streets, outside the four walls of your church, because it could get you into trouble. But the people who are threatening 
uh, and we don't even want to quote what they're threatening because there's too many too much foul language involved in it but basically uh, to commit orgies in the church and to burn down the church and let's burn down the church and I'll drive you there and uh, on and on and what they wanted to do to the pastor it basically comes down to physical assaults uh, mental emotional uh, threats uh, and uh, not just on him but his family and to think that the police are more concerned about his thought crime that he has said something that's politically incorrect and have not taken seriously the um, death threats and the violent threats made by LGBTQ people publicly, even in writing on social media. So it's not even just that he said that I heard that this isn't any verbal something. It's printed. It's published. It's out there. They, they're literally saying, uh, let's burn this church. And they even are calling on Everybody, uh, there was even a public official identified uh, in this area who called on everybody in the community to refuse to interact with, help sell them any groceries, anything, provide any services, not just to the Williamson family, the pastor and his, his family, but to any member of that congregation. So uh, extraordinary that you can have elected officials publicly calling for for not just social boycott, but economic boycott and sanctions on a person for what you would have thought is free speech in which let's face it's the first items dealt with in Magna Carta and the common law and the foundation of England's always been in terms of religious freedom freedom of conscience so how intriguing that here you've got this hate fest and uh, hate speech and threats and attacks all in the name of love and tolerance and the person who's the target of this is accused of being unloving and intolerant. So this seems to me a classic example of hypocrisy of the highest order. Back to you, Andrew. Yes, I would absolutely agree, Peter. And it just goes to show the environment in which we live in today and how, you know, it's an environment that was predicted. We've uh, turned away from God, not uh, Peter, myself, or much of the audience, but uh, our nations have. And as Peter said many times before, God judges nations. And it's just unfortunate that we are residing in nations that have decided to embrace uh, sin and decided to legislate for sin against the word of God. So it's time that we have to tread carefully and wisely. But at the same time, we need to express our beliefs and uh, minister to others, uh, as is our duty to spread the word of God as true Christians. So, Peter, where would you like to go today with your presentation, The Real Story of Hypocrisy in the Name of Love and Tolerance? Well, yes, uh, there's so many examples right now. You just think of Antifa and BLM, who... Uh, well, Antifa claimed to be anti-fascist, and their way of doing this is to, uh, well, they were wearing masks before it was uh, cool, popular, legal, and required, and enforced, and mandatory, uh, obviously to obscure their identity, and uh, attacking, uh, burning, looting, uh, destruction, intimidation, and so on, and they do this because they say they're anti-fascist. Well, it would be more honest to call them pro-communist or more honest, they are communists, they're communist terrorists. Uh, Antifa is a terrorist movement. And then you've got, but they claim to be doing this because they apparently want tolerance and freedom and uh, 
they're the very antithesis of tolerance and freedom. Uh, they just stand for destruction of lives and property and, and to shout down and literally physically beat and assault people so that they cannot exercise free speech. Uh, BLM as well. Uh, I think BLM should stand for burn, loot, murder, or ball, uh, Lucifer, and Moloch. And, uh, of course, a BLM could also stand for Bolsheviks, Leninists, and Marxists, uh, because that's what they really are. They are a Marxist revolutionary group, and to claim that they are somehow or another standing up for any kind of human rights is absolutely ridiculous. So, hypocrites have double standards. Hypocrites are actually counterfeits. They, they're really hollow. They, they neglect the inward. They focus on, on the outward. Uh, hypocrites are inconsistent. <laughs> There's always a lot of pride in hypocrisy and fault finders. And I get all this from the teachings of Jesus. Nobody condemned hypocrisy more eloquently, more wholeheartedly, more devastatingly than our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 23 and Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount and on the Temple Mount, uh, you get the most powerful condemnations and expose of, of hypocrisy ever. And we see it uh, in practice all around us. We see it uh, in our media. We see it in Hollywood. Uh, just think of these people in Hollywood who so, claim to be so self-righteous and they are so uh, arrogant and they presume to tell people how to vote in elections, for example, the upcoming presidential election in the United States. And what are the Hollywood people? While they claim to be concerned for the poor, they are uh, not just filthy rich, they are in many cases, like Harvey Weinstein has been proven to be, predators, uh, sexual exploiters, not really for women's rights at all, because it turned out that Harvey Weinstein was just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole mountain of other top stars who he sponsored, promoted, and, and put forward, who were engaging in the same kind of predatorial uh, sexual abuse of women, uh, right down to rape and pedophilia. And, and of course, Jeffrey Epstein's another classic example of this. And hundreds of famous political leaders who are out there claiming to be concerned for the poor and for women's rights and things like this. And meanwhile, we're all part of his pedophilia island. Just take, for example, uh, this Oprah Winfrey, who's a multi-millionaire uh, character, who flew in a private jet to Peterfield Island uh, in the so-called Virgin Islands, that private island complex owned by Jeffrey Epstein, 11 times. So Oprah Winfrey went there. She even had trafficked, we are told, a whole lot of uh, children that she was looking after, orphans and so on in Africa, uh, trafficked in uh, for Jeffrey Epstein. So if that turns out to be true, extraordinary. But why would... Um, a woman who claims to be for women's rights and for the children uh, fly 11 times to Peterfield Island uh, with Jeffrey Epstein's uh, coarse bunch of abusers, telling people what morals are and, of course, undermining Christianity and promoting her own religious nonsense uh, as some kind of New Age thing. You've got hypocrisy on so many different levels, and there's bizarre hypocrisy. Uh, we are seeing uh, the living a lie, the promotion of false standards. You take the communists who claim to be for freedom. Uh, the, they claim to be liberators, champions of justice. Just think of Antifa, for example, as a modern example. But the communists condemn oppression, uphold themselves as liberators and champions of justice. 
Yet communist regimes have been the most oppressive regimes in all of history. No other regimes have imprisoned as many billions of people, executed as many tens of millions of victims, deliberately starved so many tens of millions to death, erected such huge institutions of oppression, employed more secret police. At one time, the Soviet Union had three million people employed in the KGB. I, I mean, just compare that with the fact that there were something in the region of 7,000 people employed in the Gestapo in the whole of the Second World War. The KGB has three million employed at the heights of the Soviet Union, uh, and they imprisoned whole nations behind an iron curtain of barbed wire, minefields, electric fencing, machine gun towers. The world's never seen an obstacle crossing to compare with the Iron Curtain, the Berlin Wall, and that's what they had to do to keep their people in the workers' paradise. Just in the 20th century alone, over 160 million people were murdered by communist governments from the Soviet Union, throughout all of Eastern Europe, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Angola, Cuba, North Korea, Red China. The historical record has proved that communists are the most cruel oppressors in history, but they claim to be liberators for freedom and for the poor. And although communists claim to be devoted to world peace, they've consistently engaged in the most blatant acts of armed aggression. Just take the Soviet Union. In 1920, the Soviet Union's barely two years old, and the Red Army invades Poland. 1921, they invade Georgia and the Caucasian Mountains. 1939, they invade Finland and Poland, of course. And then in 1940, they invade Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and the whole eastern half of Poland. The invasion and colonization of all the countries of Eastern Europe in 1945, from Poland in the north all the way down to Bulgaria in the south. The invasion of Hungary in 1956, when Hungary tried to uh, moderate and have communism with a human face, as they called it. The invasion of Czechoslovakia after the Prague Spring in 1968, where the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia was trying to just moderate a little and invade them, crush them. Hundreds of thousands of people killed in these oppressions and invasions. The invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, I was shown by doctors who worked in Afghanistan the butterfly bombs. These little butterfly bombs designed by the communists, they, they distributed millions of them. The little plastic uh, bombs that were a little little bit uh, with a bit of chemical explosive in it, but they're mostly made of plastic, so you couldn't detect them with metal detectors, and they would flutter down uh, from the sky and just litter the ground. Now, if you stepped on those butterfly bombs with your boot, nothing would happen. But if you stepped on it barefoot, it would explode. And because it's plastic um, encased, which means you get plastic shrapnel, there's no way an X-ray can detect that. And all they could do was actually amputate the foot because of the gangrene. Now, somebody designed that. People committed to liberation and world peace designed that. Those butterfly bombs, which left tens of thousands of crippled Afghans. The Soviet Union condemned aggression. They claimed to be devoted to world peace. And yet they were the worst hypocrites imaginable. And although avowed anti-colonialists, the Soviet Union was one of the greatest colonial powers on earth. <laughs> they... They covered two continents, uh, Europe and Asia. Russians made up less than half of the Soviet Union's population. There were 63 major national groupings, over 127 languages in the vast Soviet empire, which included nations like Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and Ukraine, Georgia and Armenia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, 
Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzia, and Turkmenistan. Large sections of Poland, East Prussia, Finland, Romania were annexed to the Soviet Union. So the greatest colonial power of the 20th century claimed to be anti-colonial. Although claiming to be anti-imperialist, the Soviet Union had the most extensive empire the world has ever seen. With satellite states like Mongolia, Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, Afghanistan, all firmly under Soviet military control. And I faced off with Soviet troops in Mozambique and Angola. They were far from home. What were the Soviets doing in Mozambique and Angola? And by the way, they, they had their own separate uh, suburbs and, and streets with barricades and checkpoints, uh, you know, Russians only allowed in this area and so on. Their military occupation, also Vietnam, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Nicaragua's vassal states. So they claim to be against war, yet they're the most militaristic. They claim to be against aggression, but they're the most aggressive. They claim to be against colonies, but they had the most colonies. They claim to be anti-imperialist, but they were the most imperialist and largest empire of the 20th century. And although they condemned militarism, they maintained the highest percentage of military spending in the world. Uh, well, I think second only to Israel. But more than half of the total gross national product of the Soviet Union was devoted to the building up of its bloated military and security establishment. Tens of thousands of Soviet and Cuban troops were stationed in 14 African states, including right on our border, my mission fields, Mozambique and Angola, where they were heavily involved in wars of aggression against local resistance movements, propping up unelected Marxist dictatorships, burning churches, executing pastors, all of that sort of thing. So they also claimed to speak for freedom and liberation, but the communists proved themselves to be the greatest enemies of freedom, the worst persecutors of the church in history. For over 70 years, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union aimed to eradicate Christianity from Russia and from all their colonies through brainwashing, propaganda, infiltration of the church, imprisonment, torture, concentration camps, psychiatric prisons where they locked up people in padded cells and drugged them down because they said they had a mental or psychological problem. When they didn't, it was just that they opposed communism. But sometimes it's easier to persecute people in the name of medicine and science than in the name of politics. But I think we're discovering that ourselves now in the days of COVID lockdown. So the communists continued to try to destroy people's faith in God and yet they failed, as, as we saw. The rejection of atheism and communism in Eastern Europe and Russia is overwhelming. But communism continued to export not only its ideologies of atheism, materialism, economic determinism, but its violent revolutionary methods and its hatred of God and of the Bible and of the Christian church, right down to our street. Because Russian grenades, bombs, limpet mines, AK-47s came right into our suburbs and streets in Cape Town, right close to our mission, so we could hear the explosions and the machine guns as they attacked people in restaurants, literally machine gunning people in restaurants, putting a limpet mine on the railway track just close to where our home and mission base was uh, uh, to, to blow up the railway line. Fortunately, it detonated prematurely uh, before a train actually ran over it, uh, the chap putting the um, bomb on the railway track uh, accidentally detonated and destroyed himself too. So at least no innocent lives were lost from that one. But they machine gunned up the church in which my father 
and Brotherwork converts at St. James Church of England, Cape Town. And so they exported the ideology to the very edge of the earth. I mean, here I am in Cape Town, uh, uttermost parts of the earth, the only city in the world uh, stride two oceans, a cold Atlantic and a warm Indian Ocean. And even we found the communist, not just ideology, but their tactics and their weapons coming in to attack our churches, our railway stations, our uh, communication systems, uh, even right down to restaurants and homes. So wherever communism has gone, they have brought their violent revolutionary methods and hatred of God. The church has been persecuted. The economies have been eroded. Brutal oppression has been enforced. Hunger has resulted. Famine has always followed. Millions get imprisoned in concentration camps. And many thousands more are executed, while hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of refugees flee the country, as seen from Mozambique, Angola, Ethiopia, all the way, Cuba, no, uh, even Cuba being an island uh, in a area that's saturated with sharks, yet millions of Cubans have made life rafts and swum the the distance to get to Florida and, and uh, anywhere else where they can get away from this, what used to be an island paradise, which they turned into a hellhole. So the actions of the communists speak clearly. Communism kills, it oppresses, it exploits, it persecutes. So what are we to think of those people walking around with Che Guevara t-shirts um, and Soviet name brand clothing, literally with yellow or red stars and a hammer and sickle insignia on their t-shirts? And I've seen this in London. Walking around in London, there's people there wearing Soviet red star, Hammond sickle, yellow star on red and so on, and Che Guevara images on their T-shirts. This is, do they not know that Che Guevara was a brutal, sadistic mass murderer who personally, who boasted that he personally killed over 4,000 people, including women and children, uh, in execution, not, not in war, because he was Castro's executioner. And uh, Che Guevara... Why would you wear a picture of a mass murderer like Marlon Manson? And Marlon, uh, Manson was just a beginner uh, compared to Che Guevara. But probably the most bizarre examples of hypocrisy is provided by the African Union, who always talk about democracy and human rights, while the vast majority of government leaders represented at the African Union are dictators. For example, President Obiang Ngirma, dictator of Equatorial Guinea, which is one of the most oppressive places on the continent, uh, if not in the, in the planet, according to Amnesty International and Institute for Human Rights and so on. Uh, so uh, this Ngoma, the dictator of Equatorial Guinea, has turned it into a slave state. And he was made chairman of the African Union. And he came to power in 1979 in a coup that overthrew and killed his uncle. And yet, in his 35th year of oppressing and exploiting the long-suffering people of Equatorial Guinea, what did he do? Ngoma gave speeches on democracy and human rights, but he insisted these values must be adapted to African culture, whatever that means. Brutal Muslim dictator Idi Amin, who murdered something in the region of 650,000 people, including killing and eating the Archbishop of uh, Uganda, uh, he uh, was made chairman of the Organization of African Unity and rambled on about freedom while he was presiding over the Ugandan Holocaust. Hypocrisy always involves deception of others. Hypocrisy is living a lie. Hypocrisy is a state of pretending to have beliefs and opinions and values, feelings, qualities or standards that you don't actually have. 
And hypocrisy is far more than simply failing to practice those virtues that we promote. For example, an alcoholic may sincerely advocate temperance without hypocrisy as long as he makes no pretense of constant sobriety. Uh, everyone should seek to attain to highest biblical standards without pretending that we've achieved perfection. That would be hypocrisy. But uh, hypocrisy doesn't mean falling, failing, and, and not living up to the highest standards that you aspire to. Hypocrisy is living a lie and claiming to be what you are plainly not. And the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek hypocrisis, which refers to play acting. And it always involves the concepts of jealousy, cowardice, dissembling, and deceit. Hypocrisy involves condemning in others what you tolerate in yourself. For example, the, uh, the so-called Democrats and the tolerant liberal LGBTQ characters speak about tolerance and freedom of speech and love while they're threatening to um, injure, kill, and burn people and churches and families and homes. And what's loving and tolerant about that? So hypocrisy is the attempt to present a counterfeit reality. It's, it's reality inversion. Hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. And uh, the person who condemned us the best and the clearest is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord in Matthew 23 gives the most devastating condemnation and exposition of hypocrisy ever seen. He directed this at the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And if, if any of our listeners haven't read Matthew 23 recently, they should. Because Jesus said that you should not do as the scribes and Pharisees do. For they say and do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them on other men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and the larger borders of the garments. They love the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. And they love to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi. For only one is your teacher, the Christ, and you're all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father, who here is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher to Christ. But he who is greatest amongst you should be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For neither do you go in yourselves, nor do you allow in those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Now, all this I'm quoting straight from the words of Jesus from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte. When he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves are. Woe to you, blind guides, who says whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. Which is greater, the gold of the temple? Or the temple that sanctifies the gold. Whoever swears by the altar, you say, is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, said Jesus. For which is greater, the gift or the altar, which sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. He who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits in it. Woe to you 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithes of mint and anise and cumminum, that's spices. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and a dish, but inside it's full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear outwardly beautiful, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves. You are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You are filling up the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Now, I've just read from Matthew 23, word for word. These are the words of our Lord Jesus directed to the Jewish religious leaders, the synagogue of Satan, as he called them, the scribes and the Pharisees. And today we've got a lot of modern Pharisees, a lot of the modern scribes and Pharisees, synagogue of Satan, who have inherited these hip hypocritical curses, these curses on hypocrisy, the covenantal curses, God's lawsuit against these apostates who were meant to serve God, but instead betrayed him, whipped him, assaulted him, gave him a mockery of a kangaroo court, and then crucified him. So from Matthew 23, what we've just read, you can see seven marks of a hypocrite. Number one, hypocrites are inconsistent. They say one thing, they do another. Their speech and actions are contrary to one another. They seem to know a lot, but they don't practice what they preach. Their words and their works don't line up. Their lips say one thing, their lives say another. They may tell others what to do, but they themselves don't even do what they tell you to do. They advocate standards and experiences that they don't evidence. They're characterized by a lot of talk and very little action. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a lot of our politicians today? And so it's obvious that talk is easy, but walk is hard. And the first marks of a hypocrite is he contradicts his words by his actions. People pleasers. That's the second thing. They're inconsistent and they're people please. Hypocrites seek the approval and applause of people. Whatever they do, it's to be seen. So virtue signaling, I think, is the modern term that they post or make statements or do things in order to signal to others, I'm virtuous, I'm liberal, I'm leftist, I'm whatever, you know, posting a BLM thing or whatever would be a modern equivalent to that. And so the Pharisees and Jesus, they would sound a trumpet before giving any kind of charity. And they'd stand at the street corners to perform their prayers. And Jesus condemns this. He says, you don't do your religious deeds to be seen by men. Go into the inner closet quietly where no one can see. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to your charity either, which is the exact opposite of what the hypocrites do. To the hypocrite, virtue done in the dark is a vice. He cannot detect any beauty in virtue unless there's an audience and applause. And, you know, think of the Academy Awards. The standard of the hypocrite is the opinion of others. His law is self-seeking and self-virtuous. If he's virtuous, it's only in order to be praised. If something is a vice today, 
and if it was considered virtue tomorrow, he'd abandon himself to it with enthusiasm. Because applause is what the hypocrite seeks after. The hypocrite wonders what is the point of giving to the poor or praying in secret, where no eye can see and no tongue can sing his praise. They caught and they covered the places of honor and respect. And of course, those gold statues that these millionaires swap with one another at the Academy Awards, where it's a mutual backslapping uh, expedition. It's basically an advertising campaign because, uh, you know, here you've got the people who produce the films and who direct and so on, choosing who gets the gold statue this year. So you've got a bunch of millionaires swapping gold statues amongst themselves, and people think it's something uh, that's meaningful. Uh, but uh, I know that, for example, the Nobel Peace Prize is completely uh, prostituted because uh, right back in uh, the 1970s, Jimmy Carter promised uh, both Sadat, the president of Egypt, and Begin, the president of Israel at the time, Nobel Peace Prizes if they would sign this peace accord in the Rose Garden from the White House. And there was this famous picture where Jimmy Carter standing with his hand on both shoulders while they um, had signed this, this peace accord. And uh, uh, then they got the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, interesting that an American president can hand out Nobel Peace Prizes. We thought this is something independent in Norway. Well, I know P.W. Botha, new uh, President P.W. Botha, and I'm good friends with his uh, daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren. And uh, uh, P.W. Botha said he was offered the Nobel Peace Prize and $15 million in a Swiss bank account if he would release Mandela. Now, this is back in 1980s. And uh, he knew that this was true because when uh, F.W. de Klerk finally released Mandela and banned the ANC and all the rest of it and then prepared to hand over everything to him, P.W. Botha, the previous president, phoned up F.W. de Klerk and said, I see you got the peace prize I was offered if uh, I released Mandela. So I know that you must have also gotten that $15 million that I was offered or what's it's increased to now. And there was no denial by ex-president F.W. de Klerk that he had received the peace prize or the money um, as had been offered. There were some other things that were offered too, which he mentioned. But um, uh, his immediate response was yes, but I wasn't told I'd have to share it. Because he, just like with Begin and Sadat, they shared a joint uh, Nobel Peace Prize, which I think is the first time that was done. Well, the next time was when Mandela and F.W. de Klerk uh, shared the Nobel Peace Prize. So there you've got what's meant to be something independent, sort of like Academy Awards are meant to be, although we know they aren't, but uh, that American ambassadors and presidents can literally hand out and promise Nobel Peace Prizes to people who do their bidding. Very interesting. This is virtue signaling. This is hypocrisy. This is honoring people. And you wouldn't notice that um, the... Uh, so-called President Barack Hussein Obama was giving people medals for being homosexual. He's literally handing over medals to people for no other reason than they were uh, homosexuals or predators or rapists in the case of uh, Bill Crosby. And intriguing that you get now medals for, uh, but then again, uh, Barack Hussein Obama got a peace prize just for being black. And uh, he bombed eight countries and I think he sponsored something in the region of 16,000 drone attacks, which killed vastly more collateral damage civilians who had nothing to do with it than actual so-called terrorists they were targeting. So uh, interesting that you now get a peace prize for being black, even while you bombing countries and murdering civilians by the tens of thousands. Uh, I 
would have thought that would disqualify you from a peace prize, but what do I know? So hypocrites do their good works or their virtue signaling for multiculturalism and LGBTQ tolerance and for approval and for applause. There's always pride. Hypocrites love titles, honors, respect for men. Archbishop, Oscar award winning, Nobel Prize winner, Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times bestselling author. And so the hypocrites love being praised and honored and seated in the best places and regarded as respectable and popular, successful. And this is not the way it's been for Christians through the ages. For example, the term Christian was a mark of derision. It was an insult when the believers were first called Christians at Antioch, but they gladly took the name of reproach. The term Puritan was used as an insult by drunkards to swear at believers who sought to maintain a godly standard. But the Reformed Christians gladly took this term of reproach, Puritan, and, and took it to themselves. The term Methodist was meant to be a term of abuse, and the Wesleyans happily adopted Methodist as their title. By popular claim, the missionary Patrick was called a saint, but in his own writings, Patrick only described himself in his famous book, um, uh, Confessions, he entitled himself as sinner. So he never called himself a saint. So what are we to say about those people who want to be referred to as apostles, prophets, your holiness, and so on? <laughs> well, Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. And he commanded us we should call no man on earth father. We have one father in heaven. So what do we say about someone who wants to be called holy father or his holiness? And our Lord warned against the temptation to accord human leaders the authority and the prerogatives that belong to God alone. Making an idol of people is terrible. Making an idol of yourself is probably the worst. No one else should be honored in church except God himself. So they are plainly inconsistent. They are people pleasers. They are proud, prideful. And then they are fault finders. Hypocrites strain at nets and swallow a camel. The gnat is the smallest of unclean creatures in the Bible. The camel is the largest. So in Aramaic, the words sound similar. And so straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, it's, it's a play on words in a poetic form uh, in, in the Hebrew. Hypocrites major on minors, and they neglect the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. You can see the hypocrisy in these very particular souls who look out for little things, always searching for some small point of difference or offense, taking offense at well, like a hair uh, shampoo product uh, which caused riots in, in South Africa just uh, last week uh, because of some advertisement which they interpreted as being offensive. And unbelievable the way how people will ignore government stealing trillions of pounds of wealth through corruption. They'll ignore murders of thousands of people and hideous tortures and perversion and all kinds of major problems, destroying the economy, all looting government enterprises, those things apparently aren't important, but they will mobilize people against the statue, a monument, uh, like the founder of the University of Cape Town, Cecil John Rhodes, uh, how dare he have a statue of the man who founded this university and provides for the education status, uh, we've got a right and so on, but they ignore what's going on in looting their life and future and jobs and, and so on in the future, so extraordinary how there's very particular fault-finding souls who are always finding some small issue to make a mountain out of a molehill, but they ignore the big issues, like the Great Commission, the cultural mandate, uh, more concerned about trivialities and the kingdom of God and the word of God and the work of God, the worship of God, the persecuted church. Today, you've got 
to Judaizers adopting the legalism and hypocrisy of the Pharisees, cataloged by our Lord in Matthew 23. They find fault with some trifling issues, but they neglect the major duties and calls of God's word. And our Lord Jesus Christ identifies the big issues as justice, mercy, and faith. And yet, what are these people fighting over? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to have our priorities straight. We shouldn't neglect small issues, because if you're faithful small issues, you can be trusted and large. But we should make a primary focus, major time and energy being devoted to what is of greatest importance, especially in the light of eternity. Hypocrites are also hollow. They neglect the inward, they focus on the outward. They clean outside the cup and bowl, while inside's full of filth and extortion and self-indulgence. They're happy to put whitewash on the outside of the tomb, while inside it's full of decay and corruption and death and all kinds of uncleanness. And that's what they are like themselves, Jesus said. They might outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's like there are many beautifully bound books with lovely covers, but nothing inside them. There's many people of very religious looking exterior, but there's nothing spiritual going on in their life. The hypocrite gives minute attention to the details. Just think of Hollywood, what effort they'll put on the facade of uh, the backdrop or on the uh, outfits or the hairdos and the cosmetics and so on. Uh, but meanwhile, what they're showing you could be a complete shell uh, propped up uh, from behind by a bunch of plywood. And that's the way it is. You've got people today who are satisfied with the externals, but careless about the inward heart, soul, and spirit of something. And so we've got also hypocrites are counterfeiters. They're concerned with externals. Hypocrites are pretentious. It's all for show, nothing of substance. The religion of the hypocrite depends on the time and the place. The hypocrite's conscience is elastic. He can be something of a chameleon. He can take his complexion from the background. And so it is with these hypocrites today. They also, seventhly, have double standards. They generally are severe with others, but lenient on themselves. They make what you could easily recognize as the vices others look like a virtue in themselves. And the hypocrites are very concerned about the speck in your eye, but they're oblivious to the log in their own eye. They can make vices in others into virtues if it's in themselves, and they can present themselves as virtuous. Thus, the most militaristic, vile, aggressive, persecuting, imperialistic, colonial, intolerant, oppressive government and regime and movement in the history of the world, the communists, can make themselves out to be for peace and tolerance and for liberation and freedom and hypocrisy on every level. They always make excuses for themselves. They'll condemn in others uh, just a fraction of what they will boast about in themselves. A hypocrite is a judge. He condemns, he punishes, he's ready to lynch others while considering himself exempt from the same standards. They're law unto themselves. Their conscience is so seared that hypocrites can wallow in the very sins, like corruption, that they condemn in others. And hypocrites impose burdens on others they're not willing to bear themselves. So there's so much self-conceit and self-deceit. And as Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And I don't think the hypocrites understand the principle in the Bible that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And what we're seeing is so much coercion today. You're getting so much hypocrisy today. The hypocrites say they're for tolerance, but they're thoroughly intolerant of evangelical Christianity. They claim to champion diversity and pluralism, but they work to exclude 
intelligent design and Christianity from the public sphere. They claim to believe in no moral absolutes, but they make their own humanist, Marxist, secular opinions the new moral absolutes. They say that any scientist who dares to produce evidence that doesn't fit in with the evolutionary theories are unscientific. It doesn't matter how many thousands of scientists believe in intelligent design, uh, they condemn it as unscientific. Doctors and nurses who don't want to pervert the healing profession into one that takes innocent life are bullied by legislation and regulations into participating in abortion. So these hypocrites believe in coercion, even while they speak about my body, my choice, but you don't have a choice with your body. They're also into compulsion. Teachers who believe in the sanctity of marriage and are convinced that sexual activity before marriage is destructive are expected against their unconscious to teach their students situation ethics and perverse alternative lifestyles and comprehensive sexuality education, which is akin to child abuse. And if they don't, they might lose their jobs, lose promotion prospects, or even get fired. And humanists who claim to be non-religious, to be neutral, in reality are promoting a new religion. It's not even that new, because the modern secular humanism of the Marxists is little more than the revised paganism of the ancient cults they engage in human sacrifice, think abortion, child sacrifice, temple prostitution, pornographic objects of worship. That's what Baal worship used to be, and that sounds like secular humanism and Hollywood film fare today. It is this militant secular humanism which is aggressively seeking to rewrite history, subvert our morals, undermine the tenets of the Christian faith, hijack the hearts, minds, and souls of our children. They are hypocrites. They claim to be non-religious when secular humanism and Marxism is obviously a religion. They claim to support tolerance, but they're the most bigoted and tolerant of all. They claim to be for diversity and pluralism, but they want to exclude Christianity and especially wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, as I say, from the marketplace of ideas. They claim not to believe in any moral absolutes, but they elevate their own standards or lack of standards to effectively be new moral absolutes, which should you question, you will open yourself up to discrimination, ridicule, lawsuits, or worse. So... The fact is, some of the most intolerant, destructive people in the history of the world have got to be like those religious leaders that Jesus condemned, the synagogue of Satan, these scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, all whitewashed tombs, and the legalists of today, who seem to be the liberal left, who are in the name, like with the LGBTQ people who are threatening a pastor and his congregation, church and family, uh, over some very biblical pastoral concerns and uh, things said. And uh, you think of those who meant to be protecting life and property of the police, uh, only giving a warning to the one who's been threatened and not to the ones doing the threatening. So back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic information as always. Um, I've got a couple of bits that, uh, based upon what Peter said, prompted me to look up. Uh, I put this in my book in the name of Yahweh. Um, Page 140. Who are the Pharisees today? In the book The Pharisees by Louis Finkelstein, who is specified as Provost and Solomon Schechter Professor of Theology at the Jewish Theological Seminary of America, 
quite a mouthful there, Finkelstein states, Pharisaism became Talmudism, Talmudism became medieval rabbinism, and medieval rabbinism became modern rabbinism. From Palestine to Babylonia, from Babylonia to North Africa, Italy, Spain, France and Germany. From these to Poland, Russia and Eastern Europe generally, ancient Pharisaism has wandered. So folks, when uh, people are out there and they're saying, well, there's no Pharisees around today, well, this guy's basically telling you that the Pharisees back then are the rabbis of today. And Peter made the, uh, he brought up uh, Obama. And I remember with his Nobel Peace Prize, he got it quite early on. And I found this article. It's uh, from foxnews.com. How did Obama win Peace Prize in 12 days? Uh, This is from Sean Hannity, uh, October the 12th, 2009. For only the third time in history, a sitting president of the United States has been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, but unlike Presidents Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt, Barack Obama was nominated for the award less than two weeks after he took office, and that is our headline tonight, The 12 Days of Barack Obama. Now, according to the Nobel Federation, the president won the prize for his, quote, his efforts to strengthen international diplomacy. But what exactly were those extraordinary efforts? Well, here are just a few highlights from the first 12 days in office. On day one, after taking the oath, it was time to take in the traditional inauguration day parade, followed by several not-so-extraordinary black-tie parties with his supporters. Now jump to day three, when the president vowed to close down Gitmo within a year, a promise the administration now acknowledges will likely be broken. Then there's day four, when he reversed the Bush administration executive order to bar US money going to foreign groups that perform abortions. Well, that's diplomatic. And on his first Sunday in office, well, the president skipped church. At that time, he was still looking for a replacement for his old pal Jeremiah Wright. And then, on the 12th day, Obama once again skipped church and hosted a Super Bowl bash at the White House. So there you have it, the fast track to winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Peter, any comments on that? (laughs) It's just, uh, it so boggles the brain. Honestly, if we had seen um, fiction films uh, with these kind of uh, scenarios and before you would have thought this beyond the pale not even monty python could come up with with parodies like this you you, you couldn't make this stuff up and uh, this i think is is what's so important that people take a few steps back look at the big picture look at it for the wide angle lens and just realize this is crazy this is insane just like george orwell took a step back and through Animal Farm and 1984, he showed us what communism in practice looks like. And uh, uh, this is what we need. We need the big picture because the average person who's just focusing on, if, if you are listening to BBC or CNN or any of these uh, mainstream media things on a regular basis, you will be so bombarded and confused with disinformation and distractions that you'll miss the main thing, which is why sometimes just disconnecting from the mass media in fact, I did that 30-something years ago. Uh, but stepping back, obviously we should be listening to alternative news, but to step back and look at what's being done. If you weren't hearing the endless disinformation uh, mind games played by these propagandists in the mainstream, lamestream media, uh, you would be able to see immediately, 
This is insane. This is hypocritical. This is ridiculous. This makes no sense. Like this lockdown name of a virus. It's, it's obviously a Marxist ideology being advanced. Their agenda is being advanced in the name of a virus. And it's got nothing to do with medicine or science. And you can see it if you step back and look at the whole thing and where they're going. That's why I think it's so important to know a history that uh, we can see how revolutions work and that we're in the middle of a revolution and uh, that this is uh, the biggest power grab and the biggest encroachment um, on our freedoms ever. Uh, and uh, in a country of Magna Carta in particular, uh, this, this needs to be opposed. But the trouble is most people are so endlessly bombarded, like in Brave New World, which is Aldous Huxley's dystopian picture of the future, uh, where people on a technologically advanced society endlessly stimulated uh, with with um, distractions uh, and, and technological distractions and suggestions through screens and uh, and uh, subdued by drugs so that they acquiesce in a political oppression where they actually don't really have any rights or uh, any ability to have any separate opinions of freedoms. So it's so important for us to resist, but we can't resist until we see what's happening. And of course, that's the whole purpose of programs like this is to be able to open people's eyes and give them the information they need that we don't become the zombies of uh, um, Brave New World uh, or the drones of uh, 1984 and Animal Farm, where we're just doing the bidding of these Marxist masters. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, we're out of time. But before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, my email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, our website, frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, we're tackling a whole range of things, and we've got uh, audios, videos, uh, I give presentations each week on something on a Reformation Society to people in Cape Town, we try and record those and produce PowerPoints and videos on this to expose some aspect of what's going on. I must say, I've never seen such an acceleration of communist agenda as we are in this time. I hope and pray they're overreaching themselves and that we can win a great victory against them. But for this to happen, people need to wake up, see what's going on and say no to the whole agenda. So uh, look forward to hearing from some people that can also find me on Facebook too. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic show, as always. And you have been listening to the real story of hypocrisy in the name of love and tolerance. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, bye for now. <laughs>